Todd here from the new media show. I'm doing a pre-roll today because the beginning of the regular podcast, which you're about to listen to, had some significant audio troubles for the first six or seven minutes. Rob had some major uh, internet issues, but it resolves itself very, very quickly. So uh, power through the first five, six, seven minutes of the show, then it kind of the audio quality gets back to where it normally is. So I just wanted to give you that pre-warning so that you don't bounce out of the of the podcast uh, early today and look forward to uh, you listening to the show that's starting right now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the New Media Show. My name is Todd Cochran, and uh, I have Rob with us. He is audio only right now because uh, his <laughs> his internet connection is, is spotty at best, and he's on his mobile phone, so... We'll see how this goes. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Good morning, Todd. I, I everybody can hear me okay. It's it's I'm a little internet connected challenged this morning. So for some weird reason. It's not Skype. I don't believe Skype's the issue. I think it's my, my internet connection. Yeah, so you're you're so. garbled, so <laughs> We will see how it goes. It goes in moments of clarity, and then it gets garbled a little bit. So I, I think we'll do our best to, to to soldier through as far as we can. And <laughs> if it becomes too much of a distraction, we'll just we'll sure. call it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I just wanted to uh, – it's been a busy week in the news cycle from a podcast news cycle. It just seems like everyone's writing articles, and I wondered if the Infinite Dial report uh, – spurred some reporters to write some uh, articles that they don't know a lot about again. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's new articles coming out. Plus the ones that have come out uh, uh, have a lot of misinformation in them again. So um, I know of one article that's about to come out that's uh, talking about the issue of podcast discovery um, these issues keep popping up when we hear, hear certain people on the, uh, the East coast start talking about podcasting's problem. Um, and I, I think Todd, you, you'd agree that most of the problems that they're talking about are being driven based on a certain, certain kind of perceptional agenda that these other companies, people in place. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So what are you hearing? Well, it's, you know, it's just everything from, yeah, I'm hearing some statistics complaints again. I'm hearing discovery complaints again. I'm hearing it's hard to monetize again. I'm hearing about staying power of audiences. You, you know, it's just kind of like the, the space is still growing at a steady rate. And Audience numbers are at yeah. all-time high, yet, you know, they're poo-pooing everything. Yeah. Well, it's almost like um, um, certain companies out there in the space, and generally they're newer companies, are, are um, looking for angles to to take a competitive position in the market to say, hey, we're solving this big problem in podcasting, and and this is our solution. You know, it's the it's the whole the podcasting kind of kind of thing that we've seen in the past. Um, and it just 
seems like I say, Todd, it seems to ride along with when these research studies come out and people make some extrapolations based on what the what the research is showing, uh, and and all of these uh, things get re re. Reinvigorated again, because all of the, I mean, most of the things that we're hearing about, we've heard probably two or three times in the past, and they've kind of come. Yeah, Rob, you're cutting about out, out about every second word. I don't know if we're going to be able to continue this. It's just it's uh, yeah. it's not uh, it's I, bad. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know the. The you know I saw an article on uh, crooked about crooked media. It was, came on from RA Code. These are the folks that are doing the Pod City of America um, show that has gotten a huge you know huge jump by the and basically it's the, one of the very first successful liberal shows that's out there and the um, you know are highly successful. I should say that because there's been other liberal shows that have had some success, but they're having some big success. And the, you know, the, the, the title of the article was crooked media's founders aren't paying themselves anything. And then I'm like, okay, so let me, let me read this. And I went down through and, uh, and here's the funny, here's the funny thing. Um, he said, uh, Crooked media is not raising money from the outside, but people are standing in line wanting to throw them money fist over fist. We're not going to pay ourselves any money, but we're going to use the revenue from ads to invest in the business and try to hire a great team and get an office space. I feel like our pot. I, I just feel that like, oh, there went Rob. <laughs> uh, maybe this isn't going to work. He says, uh, I just feel like the podcast is like our seed money. I don't know how the venture fund terms um, but basically they said they're making a lot of money on their show, but all right, Rob's trying to come back in. Oh. No, I'm in now. I oh, think. yeah. That's actually better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I switched off my phone. Oh so. yeah. Much, much, much better. We can, That's... we can do this. All right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Backup so, plan. Okay. So yeah, so you're talking about the Pod Safe America folks. Yeah, and they, they, you know they they say that they've got lots of uh, investors will, willing to like write them huge checks, and um, which should not be surprising um, with all the activist stuff that's going on out there. And you know, if I was Pod Safe America, I think I would with the current uh, with Pete, you know, with the. Uh, well, let's just be honest with a certain segment of the population being so pissed off as they are, then they should just do like a crowdfunding. They should just like take do a donation model. I think they would be like, I think they wouldn't know how to count all the cash. Um, you know, I, I think they could raise a huge amount of money, but they say they're making hand over fist already in advertising. So says we don't need you people we're making money hand or fist levet said people say that they making money in the content media game is hard and and that is just like not my experience it's super confusing because everyone like oh how are you going to monetize it's just easy just start taking and the talking and the money rolls in now okay here's <laughs> yeah that's as simple as it is yeah. for them for this yes. show these yeah. folks are widely connected um you know they they come from the space, <laughs> from the, you know, the, the broadcast space. 
specifically NPR and so forth. Um, they got a widely popular show that they launch at a perfect time. And um, so, and I, you know, I kind of cringe because I know most podcasters are like, man, this is, it's not that easy. It's not easy at all. So um, for these big shows, they're not having any problem earning money. That's the key. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if if you have a big audience, it's not that hard to find find some sponsors. Um, but Todd, have you been following what what's what's coming out of the South by Southwest conference around podcasting? It, there was a lot of panels back there, and uh, Sarah Van Mosel was on a panel back there, and Nick Qua was a, was a moderator of lovely of, of that panel back there, and it seems like uh, South by Southwest is been been reinvigorated again with podcasting which uh i was involved in putting together panels back at south by southwest back in the early days of the podcasting space and then we kind of went through a dry spell with those guys for about four or five years right where they just didn't do anything with the space um i was back there every year for for many years doing a lot of stuff pushing those guys to have sessions on podcasting and i had a couple of podcasting panels back there um, that I put together and, you know, what was involved in, but it's good to see that it's back again. I think it's a good, good place for podcasting to be, but it does seem to be attracting the, uh, East coast podcast contingent. Right. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So, well, it's, you know, the South by Southwest is definitely, I, I, I'm too old to go in. Don't take this wrong. Well, it's a younger thirties, 20, late twenties, early, early thirties conference. And, um, and I, well, it's, it's primarily a music event, but the, the uh, really interactive, think about it. but the interactive yeah. event is, you know, supposed to be this digital event. So, sure. but you know, it's just, it is the most expensive conference to go to in the United States. The hotel rates are crazy. I mean, I mean, beyond Vegas crazy and, uh, to get around and eat and, uh, I have no desire to, to ever go back to South by Southwest now. Yeah. But I will say this, Adam Curry's in, um, right there in, in Austin. And, uh, he went to Apple hosted a party, apparently some sort of get up or some sort of meetup party. And, uh, mm-hmm. so Adam went to being the pod father and, you know, thought he would, t- no one, re- no one who he was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Here's the guy that that, that started the medium <clears throat> is right there in town, and they didn't even tap him for anything. Not only that, he yeah. went to the party, and no, he like a few people did, like the couple of the, the Apple folks knew who he was, but no one else knew who he was. He's like, I just, I'm just like some dude, some old dude hanging out at this party, and all these young kids. They said they have, they had no idea, no clue. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, he yeah, didn't, I, he didn't say it, but I thought he thought, well, I, you know, I, I've become irrelevant. <laughs> oh, sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is in a way. I mean, but, but Adam's also somewhat, you know, not been engaged in the podcasting community very much. I, I know he's doing a, a pretty popular show, but right. he's just not really engaged in the in, in the community very much. So people don't, you know, he doesn't go to conferences. Yeah. He doesn't in, engage at that level. So a lot of people don't hear about him. Yeah. 
And someone asking what kind of webcam there. This is no, no webcam here. <laughs> These are all uh, pro cameras. So um, if you go to uh, geeknewcentral.com forward slash studio, you can look at the gear uh, makeup of the, of the gear here. And then, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so I guess, well, I'm good. Well, if it means more new podcasters coming out of South by great. Um, we continue to see record numbers of people, at least on my business, coming in. So it's uh, there's records amount of content being created. And I did see a comment by a certain person that works at Audible, um, who was like, yeah. who was like poo pooing again. You know, this uh, there's just not any good content. That's why people aren't. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, really? Are you, are you gonna? Are you going to? stick a knife in the heart of the business that you're in or you say you're in. Well, I, he's the one that's going to, going to, going to be the solution to the problem. Right. Uh, Todd? Right. Yeah, I mean, th that's the only thing I can think of, of why he keeps raising this topic is because that's what Audible's known for is creating terrific content. Right. Yeah. So, so, so but the problem is, is that Audible doesn't do podcasting. Yeah. Eric says they, all they do is publish stuff on their own platform. Right. He says to me, the fact that 40% of us adults have tried podcasting, only half of them listen regular. That's astounding. Show me any other medium that has that gap. None. When people sample and don't habituate, it speaks to interest that isn't being met by the content that's available today. That's not driving any agenda, is it? No, not at all. The root issue, he says, is either lack of high-quality podcast content or lack of weighted people discover it. Again, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of content out there, and there's plenty of quality content now. That's been the case for yeah. many years now. Lots um, of great content. Know, and the only reason, I mean, we don't hear anybody else really saying this. No. Uh, I mean, other than him, and you can definitely see that there's an agenda there. Right. It's pretty obvious, actually. It's not hard to see. Yeah. But then a lot of lot of new people see it, and they think, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. And um, sure, there's there's content out out there in the podcasting space that's not not all that great. Um, but you know, there's bad content in every medium out there. There's that, bad music. There's yeah. bad radio there's bad tv and if and if you don't like something um, uh there's about a hundred more or thousand or ten thousand more shows in the same genre for you to find you know that so, are probably better right yeah but yeah. with the you know if the current budget survives uh you know going through congress and everything the npr folks are gonna have to figure out how to uh how to uh tend on their own um, they're going to have to figure out how to, uh, raise money like the rest of the commercial space instead of having, um, you know, this government handout and, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, the with NPR, if the, if the budget goes through and, you know, they may be forced. Well, Todd, to I had thought for, uh, for many years now, uh, national public radio wasn't really getting any direct funding from the federal government. Is that so? Why are they complaining about yeah. it then? I don't know. 
it's possible that maybe there's some grants that get involved with some programming or oh. something. I'm not sure, but but as far as direct funding of National Public Radio, I don't believe that there. I've I've had a couple of um, National Public Radio folks on, and I've, I've told they, you that, huh? They've said that, yeah. Um, then you know, and, Nick and those guys were all worried about the public radio space. So I'm just like, I just assumed that they were getting money. Okay, well, we'll see then, huh? You know. I mean, who who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but as I recall, you know, I've had um, many guests on from from you know on different podcasts and different panels that right. I've done, and it, it's been my my impression that they haven't been getting any direct funding from the federal government for quite a while. I know they have these big fundraisers, fun fundraisers and stuff, but you know, I I'm not, I'm not a NPR purveyor of content. I, it's just it's not yeah. a it's not a station that's programmed into my pre-programmed dial in my car um so yeah and neither do i listen to much of their many of their podcasts either but you know I, I do sample to see what they're doing but sure well i don't spend a lot of time in my car so it's it i don't have an opportunity to listen but it, but occasionally i'll i'll tune in and listen to what they're doing on the radio right but, uh you know it's go ahead. it's good 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 quality content i mean they've they they're doing a good job with their production values, um, and the content is 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 generally pretty darn good. Mm. So, well, did you see that uh, Mark Ramsey is uh, getting into the podcast creation content business? Uh, yeah, I saw that he got a got going with a partnership with the Wondery folks. Yeah, in, down in L.A. Launching a show called Inside Psycho, so maybe he's going to figure out now what it's what the space is really about. <laughs> yeah, but I <laughs> but I have to take some exception to his announcement. He says this is a show full of first, never before to my knowledge has there been a serialized look at the making of a classic movie in the podcast form. This is the first project my company has ever made that's directed towards audiences rather than media professionals. But basically he's saying that kind of trying to, there's been a lot of serial, well, he says serialized looked at the making of a classic movie. So maybe, but there's been lots of serialized content looking at lots of shows and is this, hmm, I don't know, what do you think? I haven't listened to the show. Yeah, I'm. I don't really know that much about what he's doing here, so I'm. It's hard for me to talk too much about it. Um, but it's. I guess he's talking about the, the making of the of the movie Psycho or something like that. Is what I'm guessing here. Yeah. So what is what is Psycho? Is that a is that a old school movie or is that something that was, you know? I believe so. I don't know. I mean, unless it's a new series that's coming out. Um, no, it's oh, it's, it's okay. It's the old yeah. It says a deep dive into the mysterious Hitchcock. Imp- yeah, yeah. It's the old the old Hitchcock um, uh, movie. It says a deep dive into the mysterious and peculiar happenings that occur that occurred during the filming of the legendary film. You know, what's interesting with this content is that um, there is a category. Um, boy, the guy's been around forever in the space. 
and he repurposes um, old time radio. As a matter of fact, is that what the network's called? Someone help me out here. Wherever some of you will know who he is, but he has uh, 40, 50 shows that do nothing but yeah. uh, repurposes the content from uh, yeah. old time radio shows, and and they're they're very popular. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he's been doing that for for yeah, a long time. Long time. And I think that they're outside of of the copyright range, of, right? Oftentimes because they're so old. Yeah, and they can they can basically take the recordings and did well they've digitized them and then they put them out as a as a podcast. And I don't know if they do commentary mm-hmm. around them or not, but uh, so I guess you know. I, this is probably not a series that I would specifically listen to, but I think it's good for him because sometimes Mark has been kind of, in my opinion, a little bit off the ball on what's hap- what happens in the podcasting space. So I think it'll be good for him to, um, and his company, get a taste of what it's really about, about creating content. Um, it's one thing yeah. to be on the side and talk about it, but it's a completely different other side of the fence to actually to do a podcast as, as you all know, because so many people in the podcasting space today, they're involved in it. They don't do any content. Yeah. Well, Marcus has, you know, he comes from radio, radio and, and he's done a lot of, a lot of consulting and he has consulting clients on the radio side. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's always had to kind of take this, this angle that was leaning more towards trying, trying to support radio just to support his business because he hasn't had, a strong client base of podcasting companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's always been a, you know, a line that he's had a walk between radio and podcasting. Yeah. Um, but I think what's interesting about the whole Wondery thing, and maybe I can uh, reach out to the CEO of that company and see if I, we can get him on the show. He's but, a great guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, he comes from the, the TV and movie business. Yeah. Uh, so he's all about storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole basis of his kind of kind of view on this space, and it looks like he's working really closely with R19. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, he's scooped up uh, at least one show I know from Podcast One here, right? Um, that's in in the network, but it looks like uh, well. Uh, Sword and Scale, I believe, was a podcast that existed before going to them. But I think most of the other shows are, are fairly original. Well, I want to talk about an a email that we got, we, and we forgot to talk about in the last show. And uh, oh, okay. it, it came from a listener of ours, and the, the subject of the title was fake news, fake news, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and when I loaded it, it was a a PR Newswire release um, from Podcast One, and here's the here's the crux of the uh, um, the press release. I read the title and subtitle: Largest advertiser supported Podcast Network. Podcast One teams with digital advertising leader AdsWiz to drive new global targeting and programmatic opportunities for advertisers. Oh, yeah. Podcast One, Charmin Norm Patisse, and AdWiz CEO Lexus Van De Wire announced a broad partnership to increase monetization across Podcast One's 200 premium podcasts. And then the email that uh, I got and the person that sent this to me said, podcast, he says, who will call Norm out for this claim? And it's got a big 
question mark on it. And he says, um, Podcast One will not, will, this is the quote, Podcast One will now be able to provide advertisers with demographic and geographic targeting of 100% of its podcast listeners across all shows, regardless of which platform or device they're listening on. Advertisers can also target behavioral segments as well as offline versus online consumption. It's a little bit of a stretch. It's it's definitely a stretch. Yeah. Here's, you can probably get some of some of the audience mapped, but uh, it, I would say 100%. It, no, it's pretty scary what you can do today. You definitely, yeah. you know. Oh, you, I don't doubt. You know, by IP, you know, if you're on your home computer or if you're even on your mobile mm-hmm. within the same geographic area, um, yeah. it doesn't take too long for them to know you, who you are and to sure. be able to do demographic and geographic targeting. But I am, yeah. when they talk about behavioral segments, um, it's, in, it's an interesting that's, claim. That's, that's getting into what, what Robert Scoble co- calls the freaky zone. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, and yeah. it's an online versus offline, you know, and it's, um, and I like finding that he's using that word, they, at least in this part of it, he said offline versus online consumption. Um, and I actually say, you know, on demand or active listening um, for the online consumption. So uh, the contributor that sent it to us, I know he wants to remain anonymous, but uh, uh, my suggestion is that, you know, companies start addressing this in their blogs and start saying, listen, you know, we, we can test the, uh, this announcement or, you know, you know, call to task the, what's, you know, if you don't think something's right now, we could, should, should have, uh, uh, at some point get uh, Rocky on here and have her talk about, uh, exactly what AdsWiz is being able to do and to deliver. I, I know they got some great tools. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's a little a little bit over the top on saying 100% of its podcasters across all shows can be demographically, geographical, and behavioral targeted. Yeah. Well, I think, Todd, we are in an era of uh, fake news, aren't we? So... <laughs> You can basically make any claim you want these days, and uh, you're you're probably good to go, right? Unless there's a person out there, or if it's against the law to make that claim, um, I think you can. A lot of people stretch the truth these days and make claims that are over the top. You know, I think um, we're seeing that happen more and more now. It's hard. It's harder and harder for people to distinguish between what's fact and what's being made up right. for a certain agenda, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's one thing that we've been battling here is is um, these these agenda driven topics um, or news that are, are are coming out that people just can't distinguish. And it's mostly between what's real and what's not. And it's mostly East Coast. Yeah. It's large, yeah. and I'm I, I don't get it. I you know I'm you know I. I 
the podcasting space is is beyond the bubble of New York and Boston. Um, oh, way beyond. Yeah, and but yet that's about as far as the reporters go to get an opinion or, or feedback. You know, I saw something yeah. on a um, on a Slack channel. Matter of fact, I saw it on the Pod to Pod Slack channel. Some someone was talking about writing an article, and they had talked to, they listed you know, a number of companies that they talked to to get some feedback. And, and I, and they said, I think I've got them all. And I was like, uh, no, you, you haven't. And, um, so it's, it, 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 um, it's just par for the course these days. Um, yeah, I've started really, if I get contacted by a reporter, uh, really cautioning them, um, to to view comments made by um, by um, how can I say this other people in the industry um, look at them from an agenda perspective right um, right just make sure that the claims that they're making and verify them with other people too yeah don't just take what what one person says to you as as the fact of what's happening in this space and what the problems are mm-hmm. and really just go with it. Um, get it verified. Be a journalist. Be a real journalist and talk to multiple people about the same issue and just make sure that you're getting told the, the truth and it doesn't map to some business business agenda that that business has that they're trying to drive. Um, talk to people that don't have a, a particular business agenda um, to to come up with the articles. I mean, there's... I mean, I told this one one writer that's putting an article together right now that um, go, you know, just view what people say with a skeptical eye and verify it. I think that's that's good journalism, is what it is. Yeah. Um, because people don't always tell you what what um, what the truth is; they tell you what the, what they want you to believe. Well, if you want to listen to a non-agenda driven show, you can listen to a new show called Your Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, you have. Have you heard about the new show called Your Podcast? I don't think I have. Oh, it's a new show that I'm doing with Mike Dell from Blueberry. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I'm just joking. It's definitely know, agenda. Sure. It's definitely agenda driven. We talk about our stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, and I do. You know, I do a show for Spreaker too. Right, right. It. It it kind of has an agenda, but I tend to talk about things pretty frankly. Yeah. I mean, that's just who I am. That's what I've always been and, in this space. And we'll do the same, you know. But uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we we launched the show on Friday. Why on Friday? I don't know. We should launch it on Monday. But, um, yeah, it's a new show we're going to be doing over there bi-weekly. <laughs> that's, why oh, I rec- okay. that's why I recorded Rob at 5 a.m. on Thursday. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. ca- call me a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Yeah, so I was going to say, not that you're not doing enough uh, podcasts <laughs> right now, right? So, yeah, this one uh, is going to be more about, uh, you know, to talking to the, our customers and, uh, you know, talking about customer support issues and things going on in the space. It's, it's, it's only going to be a 30-minute show. We're, try to, we're going to try to keep it at 30 minutes, plus or minus five. <laughs> and. The- the key word is try. Oh, no, it's uh, I'm. We're gonna hold to that. I don't want to. Really? Yeah, matter of fact, I I left two articles off, or two topics off the first show because we were already over. So, 
force myself to just Mike and I to stop. But, uh, um, and so it, it'll develop over time, but, uh, it's just going to be Mike and I talking about stuff. So it, it, it should be good, but, uh, yeah, it, it's being done by us. So it's going to be agenda driven. <laughs> and, you know, this, out there right out the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you think about this show, um, and you look at Adam Curry's actual show that he calls no agenda, they're true. You know, they, they try to be, uh, pretty frank and equal opportunity bashers. And I think we try to do that on this show too. So I think we try to leave agendas at the door, even though they're going to creep in every once in a while. Yeah. Well, as we talk about the space, we talk about it from a very generalized perspective. We're not necessarily um, talking about any one company doing anything. We're just trying to, to drive kind of like a big picture perspective. And I mean, we both on this show, and I, I, I really tried to do this a lot, is drive the 30,000-foot view yeah. of what's happening and a view that's based on being in this medium for 13 years um, and not looking at it from the perspective that oftentimes I think we see in this, this medium, uh, a, a very short-term, very kind of what's, what's being talked about right now type of perspective. Yeah. Um, cause it's not always, you know, it's the, it's the deer in the headlights kind of scenario, right? Um, it's the flashing thing that's happening right now, but, it, but, but the problem is you can get run over if you believe everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so anyway, just be skeptical of things these days. Yeah. <laughs> that's my advice. There was a, um, and a more serious note and I, I, I it kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of resonated with me a little bit. There was an article around the Atlantic called Podcast or the New Xanax. And what? Yeah. Okay, so it's um it's about podcasters are well, a lot of podcasters are doing podcasts today that um are almost better than going to a shrink. It's it's better it's it's better therapy to yeah, that's true. to okay. talk to an audience. Now, when my when my dad died, uh, my mom and I did a show called Sherrycast, and it was basically and it wasn't long. I think we did maybe twenty or maybe twenty five episodes. I don't know. The site's still up at Sherrycast dot com, where we talked about the about my dad's death and the things that followed, and. Um, it for her and I, um, not being close to one another, it was our chance on a weekend morning to kind of reflect and talk about, you know, what was going on. And so for us, it was kind of like therapy almost. So the, um, um, a lot of podcasts today that are self-help and, you know, talking in talking about life type issues, um, are definitely, um, probably number one, helping people um, Mm -hmm. that are struggling with it, with a topic or with, with something. And then number two, for the hosts that are doing those, oftentimes the uh, content itself that they're creating might be personally helping them as well. So this is kind of the, um, and this isn't the exact genre that runs around this, um, article, but, um, the podcast being the new Xanax, I think are, is 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 fits very well for some some genres of shows and um 
nothing better. Well, I think than- it also, Todd. I think what's really behind that is making making an emotional connection with your audience. Right. I, mean, I think right. that's. I mean, if you're talking frankly and honestly and giving your 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 emotions mm-hmm. to an audience, um, they're oftentimes will respond. I mean, they'll they'll provide they'll feel sympathy or they'll feel joy or they'll feel you know if you can make an audience have an emotional reaction yeah to whatever you're talking about no matter what it is you're going to make a deeper connection with them yeah that's that's the whole uh, basis for the storytelling stuff too is that you're you're trying to tell stories that you know, just like what's been in the movies and TV, it's the, the basis of all that stuff. And even if you think about, you know, political talk radio or political stuff, it creates an emotional reaction. We have a very polarized country right now. And if you can, that that's why being on one side or the other of an issue um, tends to work. I mean, there's, it's, it's kind of hard to be successful these days and be kind of middle of the road, kind of, kind of generic that's why we see fox news on one side and the msnbc on the other side the liberal versus the conservatives right right, I mean, right, it, right. It, people <clears throat> like to align themselves with a particular position that they're sure. emotionally connected with sure and and that's what's driving media today and, and if you and, if you if you go into this article this is about a gal that's an expat she's living in paris and she's mm-hmm. been there a long time and she feels that she's been come disconnected with the you know, with her friends and the, what's going on in the United States. Yeah. Um, everything from slang to pop culture, the whole nine yards. It's, you know, we, we have our very unique ecosystem here in the United States that it isn't often replicated in other countries. So for her, um, she was listening to a variety of shows and she was getting some anxiety too based upon you know, the drama that was happening here and the anxiety people were feeling here in the United States as well surrounding the election. So um, it just kind of talks about it. So I, I thought it was pretty cool, and it does. It goes to the heart of the whole podcasting space is that you and I are, well, we're chatting, you know. There's a lot of folks that are listening in, and it's like we're getting our fix, right? We're getting our media fix. Yeah. So. so yeah, and get, if it's an area that you have an interest in that you want to hear stories about what's happening on things that you haven't, you know, you're not plugged into or don't know about. Yeah. Then, then it's, it has some value to you, you know, and I also noticed that the, uh, Mr. Walter Isaacson yeah. is starting to do a podcast series about s- storytelling about new technologies and, and things like that. So you're, you're seeing these things pop up. Um, and they're all kind of in the same vein of storytelling, just like movies and television. I think uh, what's happening with podcasting is really not that much different than other other media out there. It's just um, it's just storytelling. One thing, and, go ahead. And we do that too here too. We tell stories, not in the same kind of format. Uh, as what these other podcasts are doing. I think if we did a little more of that, that might be better i'm not sure but you know we're kind of more of a trendy topic kind of storytelling yep. show i think on this topic so you know one thing that we're I, we're seeing a little bit too as i'm talking to a lot of more corporate entities um huh. and um one that's not necessarily has a a product but provides a um 
they're, they're a service, they're essential human service, and um, they are going to be doing us, you know, some of the content that they would normally put out would be pretty dry, you know, like throw up dry. <laughs> but for someone that uh, had a specific question about a specific topic surrounding their content, the content would be um, very focused, very niche, and would probably never get more than a thousand or five thousand listens on a single episode, but it, it will have such value um, that they now are going to be, while they're going to be doing a big show, they're going to be doing a whole bunch of mini shows with all these subtopics so people could come in and, and listen to the subtopics as they need to as a resource so not only are companies um, figuring out this is a good way to uh, get their broader message out together they can also serve um, those niche groups that need specific information but don't want to hassle through the whole stack and I guess that's the best way to say it but um, so if companies have started to figure that out and individuals have started to, you know, the podcast audiences are fully figured out that they can listen to content that ties to them. And it just speaks good for the whole space. I think we're just going to continue to, this thing's going to continue to rocket ship um, along. And I, I, I don't, I, I think the future of podcasting is good. Yeah. Todd, have you heard anything more about the Sirius and XM play here in the podcasting space i have not heard nothing more about that have you okay no i have not i was just curious if there's been anything bubbling about that it certainly hasn't really gotten gotten the attention in the podcasting community no 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 one i think beyond our circle no one cares you know so um they'll care when it becomes public well you know the the link became public it wasn't because of me but and yeah. I didn't get any more nasty notes from an anonymous email. So that maybe now they figure the cat's out of the bag. You just yeah. can't, you just can't email a bunch of podcasters and expect them to be quiet. If you haven't told them to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. It, and is there some advantage for them to be quiet? Yeah. Cause podcasters like to talk. <laughs> no, you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. That's right. <laughs> You just have to know that getting into this space. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what, what are you seeing on your guys' side as far as content? Anything anything unusual or someone doing some unique stuff or you're doing some unique projects you can talk about? Well, I just think that, um, that I think what we're seeing happen um, in other countries is kind of interesting too. I mean, I think um, what, what happens here in the U.S. does kind of lead the way. Um, but other countries around the world are, are climbing the hill too. Uh, they're, they're a few years behind, but I think that that's, that's what's, that's what's happening. You know, it's, um, uh, the, you know, you've talked about what's happening down in South America. Yep. Um, I, I think what's happening with podcasting in, in Europe is slowly getting larger and larger. Um, the, but the patterns still exist. You know, we've, you know, you know, when Rob was on last week, we talked about, you know, some other countries, but I think that's the big thing that I think all of us need to keep an eye on. And, you know, as we talked about last week too, around the, 
the the research we we just don't know really at a deep level what's going on with podcasting in in, in Europe um, and in other places in the world because there there really hasn't been any research done yeah to give us give us a glimpse but uh, I know from from Spreaker's perspective we're kind of a kind of a um, you know we're mostly based in in, in Europe so we have that orientation where uh-huh. uh, where we think about the international impacts and and other languages and things like that a, l- a little bit more than I think a lot of the the podcasting companies that are primarily based in the U.S. Um, but but I know your company and Lipson and others um, have a lot of podcasts that are being produced outside of the U.S. as well. Um, so I, it it's not really that big of a distinction for for Spreaker. It just so happens that we're based outside of the U.S. Um, but Francesco, our CEO, is is moving to New York, so I he's in the middle he, I, of doing that I right he, now. I heard he got his visa stuff figured out. Yeah, yeah. Well, so good. it's going to be two people in the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> who got each each coast covered. <laughs> well, fantastic. You know, uh, living in New York, man. Good luck to him on that. I know exactly. I, I couldn't do it. You know, it's yeah. it's it's, yeah. A, it's a big leap. But if you you know if if I just look at Brazil, you know, we've talked about Brazil on this show a lot. Um, there is truly explosive growth in Brazil. I mean, yeah. it's not, this is not no, it, it is truly a hockey stick. I mean, it's like, it's on the, you know, it's on the uh, SpaceX launch to, uh, <laughs> to orbit. Um, there are shows over there that are, well, they make the biggest shows here in the United States look like a joke. Um, yeah. I mean, doing incredible, incredible numbers. So, um, you know, it, it, I've got the biggest podcast in the universe. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Todd, I, so as you look at those shows down there, they're, they're primarily being done in Spanish, I'm assuming. Right. I'm assuming Portuguese, Portuguese. And, um, what kind of, uh, talk shows, Largest- numbers are, 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 I mean, what's the duration of these shows? Are Some, they I got, I think I, I got a guy that's doing a million, million listeners per episode and uh, three hours long. Three, yeah. Yeah. I saw that trend in uh, Spain when I was back in Barcelona about two years ago, too. I think yeah. maybe I mentioned it on the show in the past where there's there's shows back there that are seven hours long. Yeah. That, that people listen to while they work in are repetitive factories, you know, you know, you know, like assembly factories mm-hmm. and things. Um, people will listen to the same show for their whole shift. Yeah. There's hardly, uh, there's hardly a show that at least that we're hosting and, or doing stats on. And I, I'm not saying we do them all, uh, because we don't, uh, but there's hardly a show that has less than 50,000 people listening to their show down there. Hardly a show. Yeah. So, um, and there's not, here's another thing the there's there's not like this there's not tens of thousands of shows either so you know okay it's a fairly small still a small group of of, of content providers now, yeah, where, where are those where, where are those shows typically coming from down there are they coming from from kind of public type networks no these are folks a lot of these are folks that have never they're just like dudes and gals really? yeah they don't yeah. come from radio or anything yeah, like that. Well, in the, again, I'm, I'm just, just based upon what I'm seeing, 
And yeah. I'm sure there's some, and I don't know the, maybe we can, maybe I'll have to call one of my, get one of the, uh, one of the guys that hosts with us to come on and talk about it. Uh, maybe he can give sure. us a better, because I don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't either. <laughs> Nor can I read it. Um, yes. but the, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. And they, they're at least for us by, by leaps and bounds, easy number two. So, as far as the volume goes, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I guess we'll have to continue to watch it and see where, uh, you know, what, where it grows. And I, I, I think it's exciting. And I think you have, if you have countries that have, and again, I don't, I'm not fully familiar with the politics of Brazil and if the media is state controlled or not, I just, I don't know. Um, so I, I apologize. I just, I don't follow that kind of stuff that close, but, uh, you would think that, shows or countries that have uh regimes you would think there would be a lot of bootleg content coming out of uh out of countries and trying to get the message across um you know political activist type stuff mm-hmm. but you know maybe people are too scared in those countries to do that uh unable to mask their voice or something to that effect Or maybe people yeah. who live outside the countries can do some of that stuff, but you'd think it would be the perfect venue for it. You know, there's sure. there's a uh, you know government groups are getting involved. The Missouri Legislature has launched what they call the Podgressive Podcast. Now, I think they're they're uh, they're they're being very uh, close to becoming a copyright infringement. But the Podgressive Podcast is being done by the Kansas City uh, Democrats. Representative Lauren Arthur and Representative John Carpenter, but uh, and they basically are doing a, a podcast. So you've got some senators and state state legislatures that are doing uh, starting to do some shows. So um, there's also a podcast called Heads Up Missouri, and uh, it's another uh, progressive type of um, of show as well. So what I think what they ought to really do, I think uh, some of these legislature shows, they should team up <laughs> and get like, uh, find one libertarian, find a re- find two Republicans, find two Democrats and put them all together and have make them do a show together. <laughs> 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 and use the libertarian to, uh, to, to moderate. Um, I think those would be the kind of shows that and if they could just talk instead of fight you know and you think it would be i think it'd be awesome yeah <laughs> hey todd down in um down at podfest down in orlando um i i talked to the the ceo of a company down there um uh, have you heard of the company satchel I think, you heard of them i man did i talk to them uh, it's familiar but i'm no Bo- go ahead Bo York is the CEO of the company. Oh man, I have to look through my cards. I'm but, horrible. Um, but yeah, they have a, a a podcast listening app that uh, caters to your your location, right? Mm-hmm. Where you physically reside, and it maps kind of like what radio's done for many years mm-hmm. around. If you look at TuneIn, they they tend to to map. Uh, radio stations to your geographic location, right? So um, they're mapping podcasts to geographic locations, reg- yeah, regardless so, of content. Yep, exactly. Uh-huh. 
And so if you live in, let's say New York, um, it'll, it'll pull up, uh, all the podcasts that they have in their catalog that are, that are somehow identified as being sourced out of New York. How are they doing that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, it's a good question. I, I thought about having him on to Mm -hmm. talk about this because it, it does kind of dovetail to the topic around, um, kind of local geographical podcasts, right? Yeah. And and is there something to that, right? Um, as we look to the future, um, are audiences interested in connecting with shows that are being created or exist in their local market, irregardless of if the shows or topics are local-themed right. programs or not? But just to, to know that these are shows that are being produced in – in your community, right? And mm-hmm. um, our audience is going to be attracted to those just as something that's a unique angle, and maybe those those shows can attract local audiences, and thus, yeah, you know, maybe tap into those billions of dollars that exist in local advertising. Hmm. Um, I think it, it it's the it's the chicken or the egg kind of thing going on here. Is that um, if we're going to have the ability to take away some of those dollars from radio stations? I think uh, having more local connections to podcasts, um, you know, may have some monetary advantages. You look at monetization. I'm I, I'm not sure. And then you combine it with what's happening with targeting, uh, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, I just wonder if there's something there uh, as you look to the future. Well, the you know, if I look at the audience, you know, I can only just use my show as an example. You know, my tech show. Uh, I can probably, uh, there's probably less than two or 3000 people that listen to my show in Hawaii. And, you know, my biggest states are like Texas and California. And yeah, so I guess, you know, for me, it's like, how do you, you know, and and, monetize that. Right. right. And I often get, I often get local people that are shocked when they find out, okay, you're doing what? And your business is what? And, and you live here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you but, know. but I mean, I mean, you're also in a unique situation too, that everybody wants to go to, go to Hawaii. Yeah. Everybody wants to know, you know, uh, it's a destination. So, right, right, right. you know, there may be an interesting angle there. Um, but not that you talk about Hawaii topics at all. No, I'm getting sun in the face. Let me, uh, put up uh, a screen here and I'll, I, I thought I had this adjusted correctly, but let me, uh, I'll let you talk for a second, Rob. Well, the sun moves, Todd. So. Yeah, it does. Or no, no, the sun doesn't move. You're moving actually. You just don't realize it, Todd. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this whole satchel company, uh, it's at Satchel Player, and that's uh, actually spelled S-A-T-C-H-E-L player.com. If you want to go check them out. I thought that what they were doing was really interesting. Um, you know, you basically launch their app, and it would uh, map uh, podcasts that are in your local community based on, I'm not sure if it's based on zip code uh, or or just based on the IP of the source, which isn't really a good way of doing it. Um, but it does kind of raise another issue of um, metadata. Um, maybe there there needs to be a new namespace tag based on geolocation uh, or multiple geolocations. So like 
just giving an, uh, an example, this podcast would be mapped to um, to Hawaii and mapped to Washington State or mm. Seattle um, as as uh, kind of the two geolocations that this podcast is is located at. Now, granted, you know, like our show is a good example. Many podcasts have multiple locations, right? Um, but they typically have one main location, but there, there could be co-hosts that are scattered around the country. Um, so I don't know if that's that's a relevant topic um, to to map to. Um, if you have co-hosts that are in different cities, um, and why would an audience choose a podcast based on its local location? I you know I think that's that's a bigger question. Now, from Tom, an adver- is there anything that you can think of on that? Well, from an advertising standpoint. Um in automated advertising, programmatic advertising, you, you know, it, it's absolutely done the opposite. You just look at where the listener's coming from and you, you target a, you know, a local ad against that podcaster from a geographic data. But from a listener standpoint, if I knew that there were a significant number of people using an app that were looking for content that originated out of Hawaii to maybe support local shows, maybe I would do a little more to talk to the local audience. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting play for sure, but I think it's going to be more effective or more. It's going to help those shows that are definitely focused on local. Yeah. You know, I don't, no, that's, that's I don't, definitely true. Yeah. I don't and, think it's going to help my type of show much. Yeah. Because if you play too much, like on your, your, your Geek News Central show, if you play too much to Hawaii topics, right. uh, you're going to kind of uh, make your your broader audience mm-hmm. feel like they're, they don't really have an interest in that. Right. right. Um, so that's, that's the danger zone here, I think, of yeah. playing t- too much. If you're a national or global show playing too much to any particular location, it's the same thing that uh, I've been saying, and I know, Todd, I'm sure you have this opinion too, is that even on this show, we probably shouldn't talk uh, as much about what's happening in the U.S. uh, because we have people listening to this all over the world. Um, At the same time, if you're listening to the show outside the U.S., we want to hear from you on what's going on in your scene. Yeah. you're You're the ears for us. Yeah, and that's that, that's the other side to this too. Is that um, audiences that listen outside of the U.S. don't really participate as much. I mean, I think we mainly hear from people that are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and thus we we tend to talk about things that are tend to be more U.S. centric. Like we talk a lot about what's happening on the East Coast, but we don't talk a lot about what's happening in the U.K. or in Canada or um, you know, with this medium. And I think you and I would love to do more of that. It's just, we're just not tapped into those markets as much because we don't hear from them. Yeah. And, the and the, and it's, it's more of a night in those, and it's to be expected. Uh, those groups are definitely a little more isolated and doing their own thing. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Even though we're all digitally connected today, it seems like oceans and uh, borders do have, uh, you know, significant impact on, on the news cycle and what we see in the news or what we hear or what, you know, what we hear, what's going on. Um, one of the things I, I saw Rob that I had to laugh was there was an article over at the journal of musical com. That's a mouthful. 
And here's here's the title. Podcasting has been around for about 20 years. Why oh, is it, it now? Yeah, why is the music industry taking it seriously now? <laughs> yeah, why why would they bother? It's it's too late. Oh my my my. 20 years. Woohoo. <laughs> Podcasting's been around for 20 years, huh? Interesting. Um you could say that audio programming on the internet has been around for 20 years, but uh, definitely not podcasting has been around for 20 years. <laughs> I think you, you'd have a little bit of a stretch to make that, that claim um, that it's even been around for 20 years. Yeah. Um, audio, yeah. I'll see that would be, if we think about this is a 2017, that would be 97. I was coming to Hawaii in 97. So that gives me some perspective. I was still running my, wildcat bulletin board on the internet no longer dialed up and what else was i there was a few things yeah no not really there wasn't much music that was about the same time i believe or um maybe a year after that that real networks um came up and 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 for all you folks that are new to this (laughs) medium i don't know if even that, that 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 name even means anything to you um but it's a, uh, Real Networks was a Seattle-based uh, startup that went public. And they're still around, Todd. I don't yeah. know if you knew that or not, but uh, they're, they're still making uh, making software. They're, they're making a video media player and and all the stuff that's still. I still have it loaded on some of my computers, and I keep it updated, but that's I never funny. use it. That's funny. Um, but they made streaming software, and that's kind of where audio started if you go back to the early days of of audio online it was all streaming because you know what um dial-up connections were slow <laughs> yeah. uh, you know it's not like it is today um, but but by ni- but 97 we'd start to see uh in major cities at least most people were getting head cable modems at that point in major cities um starting to yeah i think that most people were connecting still through dial-up mm. And and also uh, uh, ISDN lines, right? And some DSL lines were starting to come out at that point, but yeah. they were still, you know, like I had a double um, a double twenty eight eight modem, so I right. I you know I had to plug in two <laughs> two telephone lines into this thing to get up to fifty six k. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was back in those days. I mean ninety six. I mean, um, that was kind of in the early days of the internet um, and what was happening. So the internet really hasn't been around that long. So, Rob, what was the earliest year that you plugged in? What was the first year you were on, actually on, and not, well, when was the first, did you, did you do the bulletin board scene before the internet? Mm, uh, I did some America Online early on. Okay. Um, so I would say that my real big experience around um, the, the internet and the web was probably 95, I think 94. Okay. Um, that was, that was when Netscape was, um, far, you know, just the Mozilla browser was getting started. Um, they were, um, most of the internet connectivity that I got back then was in, um, offices, yep. right? Yep. Um, because you didn't really have fast connections yep. in your home back then. Yep. Um, so I would like go into um, a a library at the University of Puget Sound because my 
wife uh, actually worked in the, the the library at a university, and she had um, you know a T one line running into the, the the library, and that was pretty fast back then. That was, right. was one point four, no, no, one point five four megabytes. Yeah, up down, up, up and down, and that was screaming. Then, that was screaming fast, man. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was able to go into her office and get on her computer and actually, um, actually browse around at a decent speed and actually um, visit websites and things like that and do things and well, and did, see things. You know, just, I'd go home and it's just like you know, it'd take you a, a minute and a half to load a web page. Yeah, just to give you some perspective uh, and to tell you, you know, a lot of folks are like, "Oh my God, you couldn't." What What did you do? Um, I first got online bulletin board wise because there was really no aol even at that point 1990 uh okay. first modem was a 1200 baud 1200 baud modem uh <laughs> i had a 65 on oh, this was man this is i still have it. it's on the shelf over here a 65 meg uh hard drive and yeah. then um i was running a wildcat bulletin board single line and it would stay busy 24-7. As soon as someone hung up, people would dial in. And yep. uh, and then that grew from there. But uh, about 1990 was my first for, foray into it. Then I, when I moved to Guam, back to Guam in the military, uh, 80, 40, 94. Um, am I doing the numbers right here? Anyway, long, diff- long story short, um, the um, uh, I was... You know, up to 56K by then, but uh, when I moved to Maryland, then it was, you know, I was had a closet uh, um, basically plugged into an internet service provider's high-speed lines. I was literally had my computers in a closet. I had to open the door, pull the chair out, uh, stand in front of the chair, pull the chair into the closet in order to get to my computers. So <laughs> I was literally in a closet in the ISP's office to plug into their high-speed. And Yeah, uh, and I... I I worked uh, in 1999. I worked for a startup company called FreeInternet.com, and they basically were giving away dial-up access. Um, on you know, you know, you pass out CDs. Yep, I don't yep, know if you yep. the the days of AOL throwing CDs out everywhere. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness those days are gone. Yeah. Um, but. But I was I was in that business for a while, and my first experience with high speed internet was when I was working there. Um, that was in Federal Way, Washington. This was like in uh, ninety nine time frame, two thousand time frame. Yep. So and, the, uh, so you know, going back to the crux of the story, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty years, I think they got their their time off a little bit. I think so. <laughs> yes. So not much. I mean, I was streaming. Just to give you an idea, back in 99, I was streaming at, uh, what was it, 16K, something like that, wow. my show wow. that I started doing. Um, 16K. <laughs> yes, 16K was the fastest because if you really think about it, a lot of people were, were accessing this content on 28.8 modems. Right, and, right. And, and so when you say 28.8, you're talking about 28 kilobytes per second. Right, right, right. right. Uh, which which you don't want to stream your show at a higher <laughs> bit rate than your audience can listen to. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. 
Yes, exactly. And, and and now we complain about you know oh should I include my show at sixty four k or one twenty eight? It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. But back in the early days of this medium, it, it did, and the sound quality wasn't that great. No. You know, um, I mean, you could still record this stuff at you know one hundred twenty eight k if you wanted to right, in, right. into wave files, but you couldn't distribute it like that because nobody would would listen to it. Yeah, they couldn't listen to it. Um. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, you could make an MP3 file downloadable off your website at a at you know 32k, which is what I started to do after a while. Right. Um, at least the audio quality would be a little bit better than probably AM radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but but people would have to wait to download that thank, for quite a while. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness we are beyond that point. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. And and. And Todd, here here we are doing this show live. Yeah, I don't know what we're streaming at. I don't even think anybody even knows anymore. And I think I'm pushing uh, about three megs is what I'm pushing. Yeah, I mean you know? we're at such a different level. Um, and and, um, and then we still have bandwidth challenges. I'm pissed. You know, you you have well, like today. Yeah, you today. Know? Yeah, and then uh, you know I still have push problems once in a while when I'm trying to push two live video streams to see if YouTube has survived today. You, YouTube has stayed pretty good today. I've only had a couple of little minor hiccups but you know even then it's sometimes and and i've got a 30 meg up or 30 you know not 30 meg well is that right yeah 200 meg down 330 meg up i've got a pretty good connection here but uh it's still the interweb sometimes causes issues so yeah so we've come a long ways in a relatively short period of time yeah that's fact but but it certainly wasn't 20 years that uh podcasting's been around right Though, uh, wasn't that patent case kind of, you know, around podcasting, weren't they talking about uh, 96, something like that as part of that patent case at that one company that was claiming that they own podcasting, they own the podcasting um, patent. Yeah. I thought they claimed that they, they started podcasting in 1996. Yeah, I, I don't remember, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it's, maybe that was maybe that was the basis of their twenty years. Yeah, podcasts have been around for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, a pretty active news cycle um, with stuff that's just you know been coming out on a on a regular basis, and lots of companies putting out you know a lot of podcasters, a lot of podcast companies putting out articles. The folks at Midroll had something last week that their volume is up. I think they said 67 million or something to that effect monthly listeners so uh lots of activity um and it's all good all the news is good I mean, even the bad news is good because it just keeps people looking at it and keeps it people in the forefront i don't think people are talking you know i don't watch for television and radio news i'm sure there's a lot of it but um you know we're oh, so yeah. hyper focused here that uh I think most of the news are on radio is like iHeart, you know, two hundred billion dollars in debt or something like that. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard uh, some story that came out that the the first stage of bankruptcy is is starting to happen to iHeart right now. Really? Yeah. Because so, they have a note coming. Do they have like a balloon payment? Uh, yeah. It's gonna be a fire sale when they start selling off those assets. Oh yeah. You know, there it is going to be a fire sale to buy radio stations across this country. There is going to be 
massive negative fallout for radio. I, I'm just because what because yeah. what Clear Channel did, which is now iHeart, they went around and paid premium pricing for just lots and lots and lots of stations. So I, I would be absolutely scared to death if, if my job revolved completely around radio at this point, especially if I was working for iHeart. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you see the announcement uh, that the the New York Podfest is coming up here yeah. on April 7th and 9th? Yeah, and it's going to be a live event. You have to buy tickets. It's really weird. It's not like you buy a, a pass for the whole event. You have to buy a ticket, it appears, for each live show. At least that's yeah. what it looked like to me, like 20 bucks or something. If you want to come in and hear your favorite podcast, they're doing sure. all live recordings. So it's really not a conference. It's just a. Yeah, it, it's just a live. Yeah. Live on, on stage event. And it, I see that uh, BuzzFeed, How Stuff Works, the, the, the Earwolf folks, Forever Dog, and Audible. Interesting. Audible's involved in this podcasting conference. Hmm. So let me and, bring up the website, New York City. And Podcast. the Smithsonian. Oh, that's odd. Why would they be involved? Well, the Smithsonian has some podcasts that they've been doing. Um, the big difference is that all these other folks, except for Audible, actually are podcasting. <laughs> um, right, Audible is not a podcasting platform. So... Yeah, they're going to have uh, Kevin McDonald, the Kevin McDonald Show. We're going to have uh, Hold On with uh, Eugene Merriman. You're going to have Majority Report. Oh, lovely. Let me turn off this audio. Uh, Risk, True Tales Boldly Told. Um, the Bowery Boys show is going to be there, too. Yep. So, a lot of, lot of New York-focused shows i don't listen to any of these are these i sh should i listen to any of these shows rob <laughs> you can if you want do you uh, is there any in that list that you listen to because i don't no, listen to I, any i don't no, listen I to any of these shows no. well there's so much content now i can't listen to everything yeah um and i i i have a sense of these shows because i i know the companies that are producing them mm -hmm. uh and and certainly they're they're guests that they're planning on having are, are are certainly well known names, uh -huh. um, kind of kind of generally, I would say. So it's probably going to be a successful event just because of the big names that they're pulling in. Yep. So let's so, look at how much does it cost to go to the lore show. Uh, I don't know. I'm clicking on it, and their website is slower and sin. Oh my okay. god. Pod, right. New York Podfest. So let's see here. It's, Twenty fifty bucks is what it's gonna cost to go here, Lore. From six it's it starts at seven. So uh, yeah, if you want to go see Lore recorded live, fifty bucks. And then what about how much was the other one? Another round. How much was theirs? Uh well, theirs was theirs was twenty at the door, fifteen advance. So it all depends on the show, different pricing for each. And and that show sold out. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, another round, 12 in advance, 15 at the door for majority report. So it looks like 20 to 50 is about the price. Uh, hold on. Let's see here. Let me look at what, what was their price. Theirs was 25 at the door, 20 in advance. Well, and that's 
that is an audible comedy series is what they're calling calling it oh okay i guess that's why they're involved uh how to be yeah. amazing with michael ian black another one that sold out i wonder what their capacity is at this place and they were 20 yeah, to 25 dollars. well it's it's a it's kind of cool it's it's an interesting way for some podcasters to be uh um you know to get their uh and oh, i guess they're having a, this the place that they're having it's called the bell house yeah yeah i was just actually looking at it it doesn't look like it's that big of a facility uh, it looks like, uh, 450 foot, uh, square foot stage. Well, that's pretty big. Yeah. So it looks like the stage is pretty good size. Um, looks like there, there's a bar. Let's say, oh, uh, it says that the, the main room there, it looks like has a capacity of 150 people. Well, anyway, good luck to the New York Podfest. And this is a little bit different than stuff they've had in the, I don't know, is this the second year they've done this or? I can't remember. Uh, I think it's the fifth year, actually. Okay. Hey, Rob, um, I, have to, I have to show you my little avatar. Of course, you, you can't see it, but the audience can. When I was at CES, um, I got, uh, I walked into a booth that took a 3D picture of you. And then they they crafted a I don't know if they used a 3D printer to print this. I assume they did, but I have my own action figure now. Uh, I know you can't see it, but it, well, let's let's uh, try turning on our video just really quick and see if we can get it really quick. So, I I I look though that I've been uh, attacked by a voodoo doctor because oh, yeah. my head is like not proportionally correct to my body. <laughs> you know I, it looks like someone shrunk my head but uh yeah so, so you can so see how'd you get that made they it's from a company called solidify s-o-l-i-d-i-p-h-y and they it basically had a booth with the 3d camera on it and um walked into it they snapped the picture and i paid $65 and you know, it arrived in the mail a couple of days ago. And what's so you got a, got a little mini me. Yeah. Huh? So what's funny is they sent me a bunch of heads too. And I, I don't understand why, but here's the additional heads they sent me. So <laughs> <laughs> they sent me two extra heads. I don't know if they figure I'm going to break the head off the one that's here. I mean, well, you could, you could glue glue your head back on again. Yeah, put it on something else. I told my wife, you cannot stick needles in this thing. Um, <laughs> Todd, this is, you better be uh, nice to her. Yeah. Because she'll, now she, she has she'll, a path. She'll just take it and snap my, you know, break my arm or something, you know. So, um, leg. But uh, I have to be, it'll be good to, if they're there next year, I'll take a, I'll go back because I'm on my diet and, and going to the gym and losing weight. So hopefully this, this beer belly <laughs> that I have that is so prominent in this picture will, uh, will be less prominent. Oh, that'd be awesome, Todd. Congratulations <laughs> on doing that. Well, it sucks. Take some, 
Take some dead kid socks. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I'm not really dieting. I'm just changing my eating habits and going to the gym. So. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> That's good, though. That's but, good, though. But, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's just I, I, I saw this thing. I'm like, how come the head is the wrong size? You know, I'm just like, is my head really that small? And they got my gut size the right. So I'm just, you know, I don't know. The proportions look off. <laughs> hey Todd, the the next big thing that we're both going to be involved in is NAB coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um that's April 26th, I believe, is when we're doing doing the lead-off panel for the podcasting track at the NAB. Yeah, they're giving us a whole hour. Pretty amazing. That's really I mean a full hour. We get a whole hour. It's going to be the three it's Robs. It's the first session. It's the first session. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. and the three Robs are Rob Walsh, Rob McCracken, Rob Greenley and I'm I'm Todd, so I'm going to be easy. They'll they'll remember me easy. <laughs> That's right. Well, they'll remember us, but they won't remember which one of us. Right, right. That's yeah. that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we get to. Uh, we're not really doing a state of the podcasting, but we're kind of doing. Well, why don't you explain it to them what we're doing? Well, it's it's. It's kind of a state of the podcasting thing, but I think we're going to gear it towards really speaking to the the radio folks that are at this this conference right. and and what they need to hear uh, about how they can transform their radio stations into podcasting platforms. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know. But it's, uh, it's Rob a, Rob McCracken is really the only one on the stage that's really directly owns any radio right, stations. Right. Uh, so w we tend to come in there and this is, I mean, I did this panel last year with Rob and, and Rob. So you're the, the new addition to this. Uh -huh. uh, so, so it'll be interesting. Um, uh, the NAB is also contemplating doing a lot more with podcasting next year. So this is potential this pavilion. Yeah, this could be the beginning of something pretty significant for the podcasting space that the NAB starts really getting on board. Um, and I don't know, Todd. I mean, do you think that the broader podcasting space would would support NAB going all in on podcasts? Well, we've got enough big our, – our radio business alone is big enough that we can justify going to NAB and talking strictly to radio folks, and I don't have – and I don't have to justify it from a independent podcaster standpoint on our side. So we will be there if they do a pavilion in the audio section of NAB. Uh, it depends on where they put. Yeah, the and pavilion. I'm sure that uh, we would also be there yeah, as well. Yeah. So, but, so, and I'm sure that Rob Rob would Rob Walsh would be yeah, there with Lipson too. Yeah, and in in it's you know NAB's not cheap to go to in any sense of the word. Um, it's a hard event to work, too. and it's four full days, uh, ten hours a day. Uh, so you know you've got a, it's a grind. But you know, we've done this before. Uh, but I, I'll be honest with you, the I'm excited about this event because we're the leadoff event for a. Uh, I think they're going to have three or four hours of dedicated podcasting content. So we're kind yeah. of the lead off, and then there's sessions that come in behind us that are 30 minutes or 40 minutes or some are even, I think, even a little shorter um, that have some uh, recognizable names in the podcasting space that will be talking. But they say that 
they think the registration and these are this is a conference within a conference so you have to have the conference badge at NAB to go to this um and I don't know the exact full details of but if I think you, it could could be a little expensive yeah so if you're going to be at NAB um I might be able to get a few tagalongs with us so at least for our session so if you're just let me know and we might be able to get you in for just the hour I can't get a lot onesie twosies types not tens to twenties but um, they think there's going to be like 400 or so uh, radio. He said primarily executives and GMs, that type of stuff, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. They're they're the folks that actually run the radio networks and the 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 radio stations. You know, a lot of the the majors around the country, and those are the same folks that we spoke to last year too. I mean, so we so this is a this is a kind of consistent pattern that they were seeing with NAB kind of slowly getting involved in this, bringing their, their, their radio uh, conference goers along with this and kind of learning from them about what they, what they want to uh, learn and uh, understand. There's other um, things that they're doing as well. Um, earlier in the week, they're going to have a couple of sessions where, um, Myself and a radio person are gonna gonna get before a, a group of our, our radio broadcasters and answer questions. Um, so there, there's going to be another session that happens earlier at the NAB two on this topic. Um, so I think that the radio folks are starting to really uh, wake up. And Todd, it sounds like your business is really um, seeing a, that growth as well. You know. Being that you're involved in the whole WordPress side, I think it's perfect because I'm sure a lot of radio stations are using WordPress. Um, so it, it actually makes a lot of sense for them to to work with you, I think. the um, um, We're just, uh, I think, the latest one, and I'll have to check with the team. I think we just brought on a Canadian network, like 40 different stations. So, um, yeah, even it's, yeah, the, the radio folks are, you know, they're, it's not like it was last year. Last year, from January to about April, my phone just rang off the hook, and it was like a radio guy every day. It hasn't been that. It's been more substantial this year. This year, it's been people we talked to last year finally said, okay, we're finally ready. Let's go. And um, so, you know, from a, I'm sure what it is is most of these folks have to figure out how they're going to finance the production and can they start making money and, because it's a real, you know, they're a real business. And, and yeah. I'm not saying podcasters aren't doing real businesses, but, you know, these GMs are responsible to the owners to make money. And if yep. they're diverting resources from their uh, drive or whatever it may be to produce podcasts, they have, they have to monetize. There is no, you know, it's, it's not a maybe, it's a must. Well, Todd, we, uh, we should probably try and get Josh who kind of, is the lead on this with yeah. NAB on on the show? So That'd I don't know if you, if you want to invite him, or I can invite sure. him to yep. get him to to come on here, maybe next week or something. Yeah, and another person we got to get on here is find out what's going on with podcast movement. We need to get Dan Franks on and uh, get yeah, it, get an right. update. Yeah, because he's in the middle right now of putting uh, <clears throat> putting the content together, putting the sessions together. Poor dude. Oh my god. Yeah, and I guess he got like 600 submissions or something like that. Wow. Wow. Of, 
obsession. So he's sifting through the stack. And he right probably now. can pick a hundred, maybe, or eighty, or seventy, or I don't know how many sessions. I they think have. he said. I think he said sixty-five or something wow. like that. Wow! So he, uh, only one in ten is going to get picked. Yeah. Whoa! 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 Yeah, I know that there's two sessions that I'm involved in putting together. So I'm I'm pulling together panelists for two sessions that I'm I'm going to be moderating. Right. Um, and then there's going to be a third one that I don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to be related somehow to to dynamic ad insertion. Oh, lovely. <laughs> a dynamic so. ad insertion. Funny. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole, there's a whole, that's, you can spend five hours on that. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be multiple sessions on, on that topic at the conference. Uh, one is going to be kind of big picture. And then there's going to be another one that kind of drills into how maybe smaller podcasters can tap into that. Yeah. So, uh, you just prepare to take money out of your pocketbook. I know. I know, Todd, but, you know, it's, it's a technology trend that's here, and it's coming. Well, um, at, at a cost. Yep. At Agreed. A cost. So I'd be curious from this audience, if you could be guaranteed to have an advertisement in your show every episode, one or two, you don't get to pick the advertisers. You just they'll say the advertiser is going to do their, or the, the injector is going to do his best to not put a, geriatric product in your show or or a uh um penile re- uh erection issue uh pill on your show you know you basically someone that's going to try to put something decent in there it could be uh it could be geico or you know who knows would you be willing to take a programmatic ad insertion on your podcast and get six dollars for it or four uh cpm would you would you be willing to do that that's that's the question I'd like to ask this audience. You know, if if you could get one or two ads at four, five, six dollars CPM, but you had no choice in the advertiser, you just got it. It was just like TV. It's injected in there, and drops in when you tell it to be put. W- would you, would you allow that for four, five, six dollars CPM? I don't know. Well, Some shows would, Todd. Well, that's what I want to hear from the from the people listening. Yeah. Are you ready for that? Are you, do you want, is, is this better than nothing? I, I really want to know. I'm, I'm curious what the mindset of podcasters are today. I mean, Todd, back when I started doing my radio show, I, I, I was desperate for sponsors too. And, and, uh, I took a couple of sponsors that I think back on and I cringe. Um, I had one, one ad that I played that, that had the sound of a toilet flushing in it at one point. Um, <laughs> a toilet boy cleaner? Is that what you were advertising? No, no. It was something about uh, um, malware software and stuff like that. So it had this context of flushing that malware down the drain, you know. <laughs> so so it was uh, it was pretty entertaining stuff. But I, but I know exactly what you're talking about, Todd. You know, it's kind of like uh, – you know how desperate can you be and to are, have an ad in your show to to generate some revenue from your show, and what are you willing to take uh, and and offer to your audience, uh, and w- what's the compromise there? Yeah, 
And, you know, you might be able to exclude certain categories, but for the most part, to do this and to be able to scale it, you have to say, I'm willing to trust the person that's going to be injecting ads to put something at least relevant. But, you know, it's going to be, you're going to get some stuff in here like, oh, my God, why did I, why did I get that ad? You, you know, it's, it's, one, it's, it's, all, it's almost all or nothing. And, I, you know, I've been playing with this in the back of my mind for a while, and I'm just, oh, man. You know, I've had a few advertisers come to us that I've walked away from. I've said, no, we're not, we're not doing a deal with you. You can have as much money in the world and I'm not taking your money. I've done that, you know, because the advertisement that was caca, you know, it was, it was not something that I would be wanting to represent. But when you go into this programmatic ad insertion, you, the person just comes in the marketplace and buys it and says, these are the, these are the types of shows I want to go in and bada bing, yep. bada boom, it happens. Um, yeah, that's, that's how that's going to work. I agree with you. And what are we going to do to our audiences when that comes in? What happens when we get a, uh, erectile dysfunction ad in the middle of your tech show or your, educational show or whatever it may be, you know, uh, a Geico ad, uh, you know, people are like, oh my God, I've just, I've heard this stupid ad already. And this is not <laughs> going to be something you're going to be, this is going to be pre-produced stuff, stuff that you hear, yeah. you know. Well, hopefully, Todd, we can get to a point where uh, some of those ads that uh, are presented to these smaller shows can, can be um, still ad injected host reads of some sort, or it can be talent reads that maybe sound like more of a host read. Um, that's kind of a concept that I've been it's, talking it's, about it's, a lot. It's still going to be a Geico ad with a script. It is, but it may not have the typical, uh, sound and, and feel of a radio ad either. So Hopefully there can be a line that's walked here that um, will be sensitive to how podcasting is and unique and different. The yeah. problem with that is scale and being it a, is. it's it's yeah. a, then you run into a scale issue and huge management issues. Yep. You know, so the the problem comes back again. Is it worth it to do it when they come in and they're only going to spend X thousands of dollars and they're going to run for three days and you have to do, you know, two weeks worth of work. It, it's, you well, know. if if Todd, if the CPMs can be higher for those type of ads, um, then it might pencil. It might, it might. Yeah. But then again, the spend's going to have to be higher too. I, I, you know, I the same. That's right. What folks don't realize, or and if you listen to the show long enough, I've said it enough times. I do as much work for an ad deal that's going to be. Let's say I have a, an advertiser comes in. Well, I spend a thousand dollars, and I typically don't take ad deals below five. And I give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and I do the ad deal for a thousand, and then I have a guy that comes in, and he's got fifty thousand dollars to spend over the same period. It's exactly the same amount of work for the guy that's going to be spending fifty thousand as the guy that's spending a thousand. And nine out of ten times, the guy that's spending a thousand dollars is a bigger pain in my ass. <laughs> it's because he probably doesn't know what he's doing. Well, right. he's he's on a limited budget. Yeah, you know, and he maybe he's not doing enough of a spend to really be super effective because you have to be yeah. absolutely perfect in the shows that you pick. 
And yeah. if you don't have an exact, I mean, an exact, exact match, the $1,000 doesn't turn into a huge ROI. Where the guy that's got the $50,000, you can still hyper-focus, but you've got a much higher batting average uh, because you need the resonation on fewer shows. So usually... Well, the, it's the frequency too, Todd. True, It has a big, big oh. impact. It takes, it probably takes more impressions now um, to get a, get a conversion right. than, than in the past because people are just, uh, their attention is so parsed and split yeah. and, um, and, that, and, that it takes probably three times as many impressions to get a, get a conversion to a customer as it did probably five years ago. And, and the guy that spent a thousand bucks I tell him in two weeks, you got to hold up, dude. You you can't complain to me for two weeks because of the repetition and scheduling and everything else and the way the podcasts are consumed. But invariably, three days after flight, they'll be calling me, how come we're not seeing conversions? This isn't working. And I, I, you know, I have to tell him, you have to wait two weeks. I told you, you have to, and we're the guy that's the $50,000 spender. He's already bought ad buys and he knows what the ramp up period is and the repetition rate and, yeah, so, I mean, he's probably out six or eight weeks with his campaign. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so that's why, and that's most of why I don't take deals that are less, you know, I very rarely take a deal less, uh, well, I won't take a deal less than 30 days, but I really like to put deals together that are 90 days just because yeah. of the repetition rate. So, um, and if you got a guy that comes in wants to buy on programmatic, that wants to spend three thousand on the, you know, St. Patrick's Day uh, event or events or has a sale or something like that that's going on. Um, I, I can't spend a week working on creative and working with podcasters. It's got to be a pre-recorded thing that goes into the content. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's all true. So therein lies. So again, we want to hear from you. We already had one person, Jamie, respond in the chat room, but. Will you take six or four, or will you take ten if you can pre-record the spot, or will you take twelve? You know, where's where is your cutoff? If you're getting nothing now, probably six looks pretty good. But what's your audience size too? If you got five thousand listeners, is is it worth it to get a, you know, a twenty-five dollar check at the end of the month? Um, yeah, and you had to run uh, a. Toilet flushing ad in your right. show, right? Right. Yeah. You know, is it harm versus show integrity? And that's therein lies the challenge because there are literally tens of thousands of shows that are under that five thousand listener per month, or five thousand listener per episode mark that are largely not making any money at this point, unless it's audience supported or they're running an affiliate campaign or something to that effect on their own. Yeah, back when I ran that toilet flushing ad that I, I mentioned, I got paid five thousand dollars for a for a four week campaign. That's pretty so, good. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was back when I was mainly on the the radio, but I was doing a lot of streaming online too, and, right. and some paid, podcasting back then. That, that paid your server cost and what you had to pay the radio stations for a month. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't based on, I mean, it wasn't really based on uh, a CPM model yeah, yeah. per se. It was based on, you know, ratings and reach. And a lot of those um, buys back then were not really based on hard numbers yep. like we're dealing with yep. today. What and I that's, 
that's what radio is going to struggle with in the podcasting side. Is they actually yeah. have to be accountable to their who, how much audience they have. Yeah, and what I do with small shows these days, if I have a small show that a, a media buyer wants on a buy, um, actually the small shows make out better because I say, okay, we're, this is what we're going to pay in flat rate. You know, they flat they, rate. Yeah, yeah, they've got a relatively small audience. I have to make it worthwhile enough for them to do something. So we're going to play them a flat rate, and it could be yep. three, four, five times CPM. Um, but they also, the, the media buyer understands, you know, they're paying that premium to be on that show. Um, and I know a lot of the podcasters don't, they hate the word CPM and they think they should only do flat rate. But, uh, how have I kept GoDaddy as a sponsor since July of 2005? I haven't been greedy. I haven't been greedy, you know, and I have to perform. So... Well, you, well, you're paid on a paid performance model, not a CPM model, right? I'm paid on a base and performance. I get a base and performance. Pa- base okay. and performance. So I get a guaranteed base, but the guaranteed base also, you know, I have a number I got to hit. <laughs> you know, that number has to come in there every month. And, I, and, and obviously I want to be much higher than that number, but I have to be above a certain number. And, okay, uh, so you're you're purely on a pay for performance model. It's just that you, I, you have a base uh, right, minimum, right? I have a base minimum. Yep, yep. I have a base minimum, but I have to. You know, they expect X number of new, a new, not renewals, new clients at in in order to on that base. And that's a thing that's uh, most people don't know. I only get paid on new customers. I don't get paid on anything on renewals. Zero. So you're actually um, it, being put in a situation where you have to be constantly reaching out and getting new listeners to your show. Oh, absolutely. That's been part of yep. my strategy from the beginning, and and that's why I have. That's why we blog on the website, and you know, there's there's a formula here that I've used that's been success, successful over twelve years, going on thirteen, but. You know, most podcasters don't want to listen to that because they would just rather podcast and not do the rest of the hard work required to increase the volume to their website. So, I am I am codependent upon the volume to my website for my sponsor. Absolutely. So you're that's probably one of the core reasons why you do CES every every oh, year, absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Is to is to gather audience that can be pulled into your your podcast. Everything you come to my website at geeknewcentral.com and it is blatantly evident on to subscribe to the show. It's in your face um, on every page on the website. And uh, because what will happen, and I have an extraordinarily high amount of traffic that comes to the website because of um, all Google, those videos that you have and Google there. search and everything, right? So yeah. a, a subset of those folks will subscribe to my show. Um, or explore the website, and um, and then uh, so I you know I have a churn just like any other show does. I lose listeners, but I have a you know it's it's enough of a churn of people leaving and new people coming in that we were able to you know make our goal. So there you go. There you go. But it's it's not. It, and they didn't achieve it in the first day. You know, it took, yeah. took years. Yeah. Well, Todd, we've we've managed to oh, uh, man. fill we're, up this whole show, haven't and, we? And we're we're long. So <laughs> all right, I think everybody. We gotta, 
Got a slow start though. And Jamie, oh, Jamie says, "What do you know? What the term would be? Length of time commitment? It? Who knows? You, you could sign off and say this is what I'm going to do for the next year on programmatic. Um, none of that's really been explored because I don't think anyone's doing it the way I talked about. I think maybe, well, Rob, I think you guys are starting to do it, and I know uh, yep. Blog Talk Radio is. Yeah. You either opt in or you opt out, right? Correct. All right. So when you're opt in, you just, you take it as they come. <laughs> you know, and it's going to get better though. I mean, I think um, our goal is to provide a lot more visibility to the, the, the advertisers and the ads that are coming through and, and just give more control. So I think that's, that's going to be part of it. And I think the, the other part is that the, the content creator needs to be given some ability to, uh, Say produce no. the the, oh, the ads the that ad. run in their right. their program from a given advertiser. So um, that's that's kind of like a bigger bigger goal. Yeah. Well, we will see. We'll be talking about it more as time goes on. It's coming. It's coming fast. It is. It is. And uh, but here's the here's the challenge. As soon as enough companies employ it. All the media buyers are going to say, we're just buying programmatic. We're not buying host endorsed. But then they're probably not going to be able to get access to all those big shows because uh, I don't think that all the big shows are going to do this. We'll see. <laughs> if they, I guess if the dollars are there, they, they, they will. Or if they basically, the media buyers can say, we're just going to dump our money over here. We're getting as good a good enough performance. Maybe not. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> those those big shows have a have a, a a decision to make in the future and i think it also depends on what the platforms that we build todd yeah uh that enables those big shows to maintain their their cpm models um you know but i but i think too that um some big shows here's here's the and maybe this is going to work out well for us Oftentimes, the smaller shows, smaller shows outperform the bigger shows by many factors. So if the media buyers finally figure that out and get their heads wrapped around why that's happening, uh, yeah. it could decimate the big shows, too. So, Well, I'm, the big shows are going to have to live by the same rules, right? Um, they're going to have to have the, that kind of level of connection with their audience. Um, and, and I think a lot of them do. Yeah. So, all right, folks, we're going to get out of here. Rob, how can I get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way is on Twitter, um, at Rob Greenlee, and then uh, obviously email uh, rob at spreaker.com or rob at robgreenlee.com, uh, two E's on the end. I'm Todd at blueberry.com or at Geek News on Twitter. Of course, you can also reach me via my personal email, geeknews at gmail.com. So, uh, Anyway, that's it. We're long. Thanks for, uh, I'm glad the audio stuff worked out. I'll have to warn the audience that the audio will get better um, in a few minutes <laughs> at the beginning of the show. But uh, for those of you that hung out with us, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time on, yeah, the, thank you. on the new media show. Take care. Bye-bye.